Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Ampion St. Clavio. You're listening to myself, James Gerd, and my wonderful co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you. Recovering from uh, last night's Christmas party, just about. How are you doing? It's good. It was, we're like the two broken e-commerce podcasters. There's me sat with a duvet wrapped around my waist because I've got man flu, and there's you broken yourself at a Christmas party. Uh, luckily, our guest today is much healthier than us, so that's all good. <laughs> Let me set up the episode and I'll introduce you to Heather. So our topic today is such an important one for e-commerce. It's navigating the complexities of tax and duty handling for international e-commerce. And I think you know, me and Paul work with loads of, loads of projects, different businesses. And whenever tax and duty is mentioned, you normally get size because it's a complex area. People working in finance know it's not just as simple as turning something on. Um, compliance can create headaches and also not everyone understands the impact of compliance requirements. So today we're talking to the experts at Avalara to share their insights and practical advice about the realities of handling uh, tax and duties for international e-commerce. So really, really important. We're going to cover tax policy developments and their impact, um, what merchant problems Avalara is solving and how integration past the leading platforms and where the roadmap is heading. And so welcome today, Heather White, who's the Tax Technology Solutions Manager. How are you, Heather? I'm good, thank you, James. Yeah, I'm not bad. I, I do feel sorry for Paul, though, that he has to sit through an hour of uh, listening to me talk about tax while he's feeling a bit fragile. Uh, he does <laughs> we'll it, make it himself. Fun. He does it. <laughs> um, so you've got an interesting background and really, really relevant to your role now, Avalar. You spent 14 years at DHL building up like a formidable knowledge of cross-border trade, supporting a wide range of businesses. And I believe you moved to Avalara this year as a tax specialist. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, my background very much um, in e-com, looking at how we could support international e-commerce businesses grow their international sales through, uh, you know, delivery proposition, post-purchase experience, um, you know, duties and taxes. And then, yeah, moved over to Avalara earlier this year um, to kind of, yeah, levy on that. Um, and then also, uh, more importantly, support with customers with um, being compliant when they are trading internationally. Lovely. Um, I'll ask the first question then. Um, so Avalara published an annual tax changes report. Can you summarise the key international and domestic changes in 22 and also just talk through how they impact e-commerce businesses? Yeah, no, of course. Um so I guess domestically in the UK, um, we've seen um, MTD, so making tax digital, um, which has seen ultimately the need for, for businesses to implement an element of software to digitally submit their VAT returns. Um, and then in terms of the international, you know, there's always some sort of legislative change um, around the world coming. Um, and it can be really difficult for e-commerce businesses to, to keep up. Um, most notably in the last few years, we've seen the EU VAT reforms um, in July 21. Um, and then the ongoing adoption of, of thresholds, which trigger tax liabilities around the world. So, um, you know, often uh, I, I, there's a lot of changes recently with, with countries um, adopting those or, or changing those. Um, and also with the US states, uh, you know, having their kind of um, thresholds, which trigger tax liability also. Um, there are some pending uh, legislation changes. So the EU European Commission um, are reviewing the VAT legislation at the moment. Um, and I think some of that will be announced in the next few days um, around kind of, you know, some of the schemes around IOS and, uh, you know, um, which is ultimately a, a VAT simplification scheme, um, which I can go on to. Um, but yeah, there, there's some some changes coming with that that, you know, we've probably missed by a few days. Great. And um, my next question. So, 
like some of the clients that I've worked with recently, you know, they've just started doing more cross-border. They're starting to kind of look at international um, as things get a bit tougher in the UK. Um, where, what are the things that tend to catch businesses out from a cross-border tax perspective? Um, so I guess it's not being aware of some of the legislation. So um, I'm speaking to a lot of e-commerce businesses at the moment. Um, and, you know, we kind of get onto the subject of the US and they say, you know, it works well. You know, we have a good customer base there. You know, they, they don't get charged duty for anything under $800. Like, it's a great market. Um, and when we ask sort of how they handle sales tax, um, there's a few blank faces. Uh, so, you know, 2018, 2019, there was some legislation around um, uh, kind of thresholds which were implemented. So, um, there was a, a ruling between South Dakota and Wayfair, um, which implemented something called economic nexus, um, which essentially is is a threshold that's implemented at, at kind of a state level. And once a business hits that threshold, um, you know, some some it's a revenue number, some it's transactions, some it's kind of either or, um, then they're then liable to pay sales tax. Um, so if customers are aware of it, it's it's fine because ultimately, you know, they they start calculating at that point. They register, obviously, start calculating, um, collecting and remitting. Um, but the thing that catches people out if they is if they maybe aren't aware of it, and you know, two three years down the line are now realizing that they breached that threshold in 2020. Um, you know, that historic liability you know, has to be paid and they haven't collected it from their customers. So, um, you know, it has it has a bit of an impact on the bottom line to. To get compliant, and you um just just earlier you indicated about legislative changes coming through. I almost couldn't say that word then. Um, <laughs> it could affect taxes and duties, and I know it can affect shoppers as well. But let's focus on the the e-commerce merchants for a minute. And you reference IOS. Um, yeah, I know some businesses are aware, and others aren't, and don't know what to do about it. Can you just summarise to to people what is IOS and what do merchants need to to do? Yeah, of course. Um, so IOS is a, a VAT simplification scheme. So um, it was launched, uh, you know, um, when we had the the lovely Brexit. Um, and ultimately, it's it's to support retailers in in managing their European VAT. Um, but it can so it's for e-commerce customers. They essentially um, register for IOS in one country, um, and what it allows them to do is uh, collect VAT based on the country-specific uh, VAT percentage, so, you know, the different rates in, in different markets, um, but then ultimately file and remit in the one country. Um, and then that one country then passes on that VAT um, to the other markets. Um, one of the big benefits of it is that if you have an IOS number, um, you can pass that on to your logistics partner. Um, and it means for orders under €150, Euros, um, the end customer doesn't receive any duty in VAT. Um, they pay the VAT at point of sale um, and therefore have a much, much better experience. Um, and then from a compliance point of view, you know, you just manage that one return for your European uh, market. Yeah, and the customer experience is something that, that most of the businesses I work with, especially in the luxury space, they're really concerned about. It's very simple to say, customer, you're, you're uh, liable at point of collection. Yeah. Actually, that I mean, that can impact returns and it can really, really annoy customers if it's unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you, you know, you've got a delivery driver at your door um, who's kind of saying, you know, here's your item, but you can't actually have it until yeah. you've you've settled this bill that you weren't expecting. Um, and, you know, the admin charges and stuff are, are often added on at that point as well. So, so yeah, it's, it is difficult for customers to manage, I think, especially um, post-Brexit, because, 
EU consumers weren't used to that experience. Um, you know, so they were continuing to buy from the UK and then being hit with with those bills. Um, but yeah, I think IOS helps massively with that. And then for kind of luxury customers, as you mentioned, over the 150 euros, um, you know, kind of calculating that duty and tax at checkout um, is, you know, is is a bit of a game changer because it just gives customers that transparency. Um, they know what they're paying and, you know, they have a much better experience. Yeah, and I know that uh, the Avalara covers sales taxes plus duties. And in my experience, a lot of merchants are reticent about trying to charge for duties at point of sale and are much yeah. happier with sales tax and then duty is that's something nebulous that gets handled further down the line in the in the um supply in the delivery chain what have you seen work for merchants have you seen real evidence that the the time and effort to get that set up and to charge that relevant to the country of shipping and the products that are being shipped actually has a positive benefit because there is a cost and effort associated with this yeah, definitely. Um, I think the key to understanding if that's going to be beneficial to your business is is trying to understand the cost of of not doing it. Um, so, you know, when you look at duty um, as an example, um, you know, if you do have that that post purchase experience, which is fairly negative, you know, are you losing customers as a result of that? Um, but also, you know, if a customer refuses to pay those duties at the border, um, you have to pay for that cost to you know that that item to come back to you um and you know international shipping it, it's not cheap um so you know if you're having a couple of those uh you know a month or or a um you know a, a year it adds up quite significantly um and then also you've got the uh potential customers that you're potentially losing um, by not offering a delivery duties paid model. So, you know, a lot of international customers that have been stung once. Um, I know, you know, when I buy anything from anywhere worldwide now, um, I, I look for a, a retailer that offers it included because, um, you know, once you've been stung once, you you then avoid um, that, that kind of experience happening again. Yeah, I got stung uh, a while back. I, I was ordering some, some like, um, uh, like health stuff from the year from a company in the us uh, to help with like uh, training and i hadn't thought about it the pricing was good like, brilliant it turned up and the taxes and duties were more than the cost of the item so my own yeah. i should have thought three but you're right and i get a question related to that before paul goes on to the next one is obviously you've worked at dhl for a long time and you work with a lot of different businesses to help them solve some of these logistical problems did you do you did you see evidence of businesses having a significant percentage of refused deliveries where the customers just said solid take it back i'm not paying it yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a very, very common occurrence. Um, you know, I, I'd work with customers who, you know, we'd set up um, kind of an export agreement and then they'd get kind of charges on their import invoice and, you know, would always be kind of confused as to, you know, what those charges were. Um, and when we drilled into it, it was because, you know, um, there was so many of those those items being returned that actually those those costs were kind of really racking up. Um, and, you know, once the customers refused, uh, you know, the that that kind of parcel almost that that order um they're probably not going to purchase again um and i think when you look at like the cost of acquiring customers now with uh you know marketing and social media um you know that yeah the, the costs are far beyond just that shipping cost so yeah it was it was a big um big impact um great so i'll um i'll ask my next question and this is uh this is quite an interesting one i think a lot of people struggle with this we've had a, a fair few clients that kind of get to a point where they hit threshold with uh particularly new york and california state tax um in the us and i think 
yeah loads of our clients haven't really understood what they should be paying and when they start paying etc um what should an e-com team need or what does an e-com team need to understand here like at what point do they need to start paying tax yeah like what they're kind of um from a high level like how does this work yeah so i mean um firstly they need to understand those thresholds so there's 45 of the u.s states have thresholds um you know the higher ones as you mentioned sort of new york and and california are about half a million dollars a year which is great um but actually there's about 20 states which have thresholds of a hundred thousand dollars in a year um and also 200 transactions and some of those are are either or um so the 200 transactions can really catch people out quite quickly um especially i guess timing wise in you know periods like black friday and peak uh you know when you have an uptick in volume um those periods can kind of push you over those thresholds and then trigger that liability um in terms of kind of calculating sales tax um it's there's so many variables i mean if i ever met someone that could calculate sales tax themselves um accurately then you know i take my heart off to them um but you know within the us there's 12,000 different taxing jurisdictions so you know 12,000 different taxing rates ultimately um not all products are you know taxable some are exempt um they have often rate changes. There's about 20% of rates change on a kind of monthly basis. Uh, and then they have special and seasonal taxes that apply to, you know, certain counties, certain states. Um, so, yeah, I think for, for an e-commerce customer, you know, what they need to understand is that there are thresholds um, and that there's technology out there that can help you calculate um, the sales tax if, if you need to. That makes sense. And um, and I guess what are the risks, like again, knowing clients and having worked with clients that do get this wrong, um, what are the risks and how often do people get caught out? Like what happens if you do get this wrong? Yeah, I mean, um, the risks of getting it wrong are are kind of uh like commercially big fines, um, you know, and and higher percentages of interest on on the liability that you owe. Um and, and they don't mess around when it comes to collecting that liability as well. So, um, you know, if a business kind of, you know, goes, um, you know, they, they'll always try and attempt to collect that that revenue from the business initially. But if the business can't kind of, you know, um, can't generate that fine um, or all those those um the backdated liability, then they have something called the Responsible Persons Act in in the US, where they will, you know, personally uh, make someone personable, personally liable for um, you know that that liability. So um, yeah, they they the risks of getting it wrong are, are quite significant. Well, that's really interesting. Um, next question. Uh, so slightly different question. So how has the mandate for electronic filing impacted businesses, and which countries is this relevant to? So e-invoicing um and some of the sort of live reporting mandates um they're more relevant for b2b um so markets like italy france and germany um you know for if you're selling b2b you need to be aware of those um I, it's not yet relevant for b2c e-commerce customers um but you know if you're multi-channel and you know you have to consider both um then you know the you'll obviously need to be aware of them um and yeah italy france and germany are ones where um they're very relevant at the moment what is ampliance in a word it's freedom the freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision create preview schedule and manage all your content in one easy place find out more at ampliance.com ampliance 
experience freedom. And we're gonna we're gonna throw the elephant in the room. I know you you everyone loves this word, but Brexit. Everyone's sick of it, but it has added complexity for people selling between UK and EU specifically. From from your perspectives as like a technology specialist in the area, what impact have you seen it have in terms of like e-commerce merchants, like obligations and liabilities? Like, what what has it added to them? Yeah, so Brexit's, um, yeah, I think everyone is sick of it, but it, it was a really interesting time for me, actually, because I went off on maternity leave in the August and I came back and we were no longer in the EU. So um, I kind of reached out to a lot of the customers that I was working with and was like, you know, what are we doing about, you know, Europe? And and loads of businesses had switched it off. Um, lots of businesses upped out of the UK and moved to like European warehouses. Um, and the ones that had done that were then kind of really feeling the pain of, you know, having split stock um, in the different warehouses, different sizing, especially in kind of fashion um, and the costs of, of having that extra um, warehousing. So um, I think, it was a really tough time initially and it hit retailers hard. I think now things have really settled. So, you know, two years on almost, um, the IOS, um, you know, simplification scheme has been a game changer because it does allow customers within Europe, um, with the OSS and within obviously the UK with the IOSS, um, it allows them to trade with Europe in almost like a, a pre-Brexit-like fashion um, for orders under that 150 Europe, uh, 150 euros. Um, I think it, there was a bit of a delay in the adoption of IOSS. There was a bit of a lack of understanding of, uh, you know, kind of what was needed, um, the perceived cost, complexity and stuff. And I think now people are realising it's actually a lot easier than they thought. Um, and, you know, it's it kind of seems to be something that, um, you know, a lot of customers are, are switching back on. Yeah, I, I definitely saw, especially in the, the, the smaller business space, a lot of people just turn around and go, we're not doing it because we don't we don't understand the paperwork challenges and we don't understand the operational implications to our systems and it's easier if it's not if it's not dominating your sales to turn it off and let it settle and you mentioned about that threshold 150 euros what have you seen um more premium retailers who've got really large order values like you know 2000 3000 pounds or 3000 euros what what have you seen in that space so if you, so IOSS is obviously, uh, you know, customers that are in the UK shipping into Europe um, for luxury, um, sorry, and that has the 150 euro threshold. Um, for luxury customers, there's two options. One, if they are shipping from within Europe, they can use uh, the Union OSS. So it's just a uh, one-stop shop um, and that doesn't have a threshold. So they can benefit from the same VAT simplification and the same kind of simplificated filing um, and trade with Europe from Europe without that threshold. Um, if you are shipping from the UK, um, you can use IOSS for your under 150 euros and then over, um, just be transparent. Um, so offer kind of the delivery duties paid model um, and, and offer that calculation at checkout. Excellent. Thanks for the clarification. So let's let we've talked a lot about you know the challenges, what merchants need to be un, uh, aware of, which is hugely important. So thank you. Let's move on to Avalara, the platform, and what problems you're solving. So can you summarise to people who haven't used it? They might know you, but they might not have used it in their business. What problems does Av Avalara's integration solve? So what processes and actions are you helping to automate that an e-com business might otherwise have to have dedicated resource or manual processes for? Yeah. So. Um... 
Ultimately, Avalara uh, support with all elements of transactional taxes. Um, so for the US, we actually automate the the kind of full end-to-end process. Um, so, you know, we can kind of track and identify those thresholds. We can get the customer registered in the individual states. Um, we can support with the calculation, um, even with all the kind of variable changes. Um, and then we can also automate the returns filing. So once you've kind of collected that, uh, you know, that sales tax from the end customer, um, you know, we can settle that with the state on your behalf as well. So um, you can kind of, once you've plugged us in, um, you know, you can kind of rest easy that that you don't really have to do a huge great, uh, a huge amount of work for your US compliance. Um, outside of the US and Canada, um, we can support with the calculation via Avatax. And then we can also support with uh, registration and compliance in about 60 something countries. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of take the pain out of the, the compliance side of things uh, with the technology that we have. Um, and then we can also support with exemption certificates as well. So um, whether it be kind of US customers um, that are selling to like resellers, uh, sorry, resellers, um, or whether you're selling to government bodies and, and they're providing a sales tax exemption certificate, um, you know, we can manage the uh, compliance of that, making sure that they're valid, making sure that they're in date. Um and then also outside of that, we can support with a lot of um, tax research and, and tax content as well. Um, touching on the exemptions piece, um, how does Avalara handle the kind of variables around um, varying tax rates and exemptions? So, uh, for example, I don't know if it's children's products or yeah, variables around the customer. Like, How does that side of things work from a management perspective? Um yeah, so uh, with exemptions, I guess there's there's two elements. If I kind of break it down into two two different parts, so in terms of um, exempt uh, products, for example, so um, ultimately Avatax is is a tax engine, so um, it will apply the accurate determination based on some of the transactional data. Um, what we will do as part of the kind of onboarding with, with Avalara is we um, identify a customer's products and services and we map them against uh, an Avalara tax code. And what that tax code allows us to do is determine whether um, a product is taxable or, or tax exempt um, or benefits from one of those um, preferential rates in a, in a particular country. Um, and then it also and, uh, gives us the ability to track any changes within that. So if there's any kind of seasonal promotions, so, um, you know, back to school campaigns in the US, which kind of give, uh, you know, tax holidays almost on, on certain commodities, um, that code allows us within that engine to kind of give you an accurate tax determination. Um for exempt customers, um, so within the US, customers that supply an exempt, exemption certificate, um, you know, we can we can validate that and, and use that to calculate, again, um, accurate rates of tax um, or, or tax exempt sales, for example. Um, and then outside of uh, the US, again, we've got the um, ability to recognize a VAT number. Um, so, you know, if, if you are a kind of multi-channel customer, you have B2C and B2B coming in from the same channel, um, we can identify where there's a VAT number and therefore not add uh, that onto that invoice for those customers. Right, um, that makes sense. Um, and then the next question is around integration. Um, so I've used Avalara quite a bit on Magento and Shopify. Um, which other platforms do you currently have integrations with and which ones are you looking to work with in the future? Um, so we've got 
about 1200 um integrations uh so i think there are about 30 new ones this year um that ultimately allow that kind of direct plug-in into avatax um i mean ones that i've been speaking about a lot this week are, are charge b and big commerce they seem to be the kind of uh yeah popular ones with, with my customers the last few weeks um but we also do a lot of development within our integrations as well. So if I take big commerce as an example, uh, you know, we originally started that kind of integration to determine sales tax. Um, but then, you know, based on customer demand, we had lots of customers that actually were using big commerce and, and needed the duty calculation elements. So um, again, we then, you know, we, we've kind of launched that capability within the platforms as well. So um yeah, there, there's always new ones appearing, but we're also doing quite a lot with, um, you know, expanding the scope of the current connectors that we've got as well. Um, and I think having that, uh, I guess, wide range of integrations really helps as customers grow. Uh, you know, they may just be a, a Magento customer today, um, but, you know, next year they may have an ERP that they want to plug in for B2B. Uh, you know, they may be selling on Amazon and, um, yeah, ultimately having that that kind of uh, breadth of, of integrations gives them the ability to to integrate but also manage everything from the one avatax account I'd, I'd like to just yeah just probe a bit more on the because uh, i've worked with quite a few big commerce customers one of the things that people have liked is the fact that avalar is included within the big commerce solution and there is a pre-existing connector but what what all people are always cynical about in e-commerce world and quite rightly is it's just one click it's all turned on it's all done so could you just talk people through what effort is required from the merchant. So if they sign up, they're on BigCommerce, as the example, and they want to work with Avalara, what do you expect from them? What resource do they need to provide to you to make it work and to get the development done correctly? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the connector. Um, so, you know, some of the straightforward ones are, are very much sort of plug and play from a tech point of view, um, while some of the other kind of bigger ERPs um, take time to kind of, you know, still connect the systems. Um, but ultimately, you know, all the coding and, and tech work is is done really when it when you're looking at a connector. Um, the time and effort from a kind of project point of view is, is mainly on the configuration for Avatax. So, uh, you know, to calculate tax accurately, we need to know, you know, who you are, what you're selling, you know, where where you've, uh, you know, breached thresholds, where you're registered, um, how, you know, how often you're required to do that filing. Um, so, yeah, most of the time of a project is, is more in that configuration side of things, um, in us understanding that. And I'm assuming that, that one of the most important people that you insist involved is the financial lead because it has such a key dependency around the whole reporting and reconciliation piece. So do you, when you're engaging with clients, do you, is there a, an initial engagement piece where you map out some of the people that you need around the table to make it work? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, in that initial conversation, they are very often with finance. Um, so it's kind of just understanding, you know, current requirements, uh, you know, where what stage the business is at in terms of that project. Um, and then as things evolved, you know, we, we normally engage someone from IT, um, from a, a project and a tech perspective. Um, but then also, you know, if we are talking about proposition changes like the duty piece, then, you know, we may then engage the e-commerce manager because, you know, that's going to have a benefit on their customer experience, on their conversion rates and stuff. So, um, yeah, every project tends to be quite um, quite different. But, um, you know, the more stakeholders you've got involved, the, the better because they can kind of scope out the requirements that are going to be needed from their, their teams ultimately at that stage. And in terms of the next question, inevitably people will have who are thinking, oh, this sounds interesting is, 
how does the cost model work? What's the commercial model? How does Avalara charge? How does that scale if they suddenly you know, double treble their revenue or add new storefronts? Could you talk people through that? I know it's going to be it depends, but at a high level, how does the commercial model work? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you're quite right. It does. It does depend massively on, um, you know, the scope of the project. But ultimately, you know, we're a SaaS company. So, you know, most of the, the cost will be on the associated license. Um, so we'll have a license for the Avatax portal, which is generally based on uh, the number of transactions that they they intend to do. Um, you know, they can upgrade at any point during their kind of relation with us, uh, relationship with us um, for transactions, you know, as they scale and grow. Um, and then the other costs associated will be, um, you know, the connector costs, depending on, again, how complex those connectors are. Um, and then some of the support and professional services costs. So, um, you know, we can handle the implementation for the customer. We can kind of do a lot of that legwork and we can manage the project with professional services um again depending on the scope the you know the cost would vary significantly um and then obviously you know from a compliance point of view as well handling those registrations so those upfront registrations um you know we we charge a per state cost for those um and then from a returns point of view uh we charge a sort of per filings fee uh for for, for returns um which varies depending on how many returns you need ultimately Great. And then last question for me. So over the years, I've read loads of your kind of documentation when trying to figure stuff out around tax and configuring Avalara. Um, what resources do you have other than the annual report for customers trying to get their heads around all of the stuff we talked about in this episode? Um, so our website is is fantastic. Um, I often flick to our website if I can't remember what, what a threshold is in a certain market or whether, uh, you know, they include exempt sales or whatever it may be in that threshold. So, um, yeah, definitely our website. Um, we've also got lots of white papers on there uh, and, and case studies. Um, but ultimately, reach out. Um, you know, we, we're not kind of traditional tax advisors in any way, but, um, you know, we can kind of schedule a half hour initial call in just to really understand, um, you know, your business and, and help you navigate through um, any tax, potential tax obligations that you might have um, and, and kind of provide solutions to support. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we would absolutely support with um, navigating some of that information uh, for customers as well. Cool. So if someone listening thinks I want to speak to Heather and ask her a few questions about a specific scenario or find out a bit more about what the pricing would look like for my own specific business model, what's your what's the right contact process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, drop me an email, contact me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, yeah, more than one, ha- more than happy to have that initial conversation. Um, I do specialize more so in the US and Canada market. Um, but if it's a question that I can't answer, then I'll, I'll pass you on um, to one of my lovely colleagues who, uh, who, yeah, will be able to cover that for them. Cool. Um, we will add a, a link into the landing page for this blog post. So if people want to reach out, they can. Um, Heather, look, thanks. That, that was really interesting. I mean, it's very hard. I think to distill concise information about such a complex area for e-commerce, but it's so critical. And I think a lot of people struggle sometimes to understand what they should be doing and often gets kicked further down the line in a project when it should be tackled head head on up front. Um, So thanks so much for coming on today. No problem. And yeah, I know that a lot of uh, the answers today have been very, uh, very broad, I guess. But yeah, if you've got any customers that have any specifics, then um, yeah, as you quite rightly said, you know, reach out and um, and we'll be happy to help. Cool. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you've enjoyed that and found that productive as well. Keep your ears open for the next episode. We drop one every Tuesday or Wednesday. Do let us know of any specific topics you want us to feature and why. 
Um, if you haven't subscribed already, just sign up on the website. You get an email alert every week when the new um, episode comes out. And please do give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, and also now on Amazon Music. How exciting. Until next week, everybody. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.